With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's good, boys and girls? Welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast. It is Tuesday, the 22nd of December, and we're brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, so do check out their services at LibertyShield.com and use the code EPLVPN to get 20% off at checkout. Two games to get through from last night, plus some news, plus some nonsense, and a little bit of gossip as well. Uh, First up, Burnley with a big, big win, 2-1 over Wolves. Good value for the win, in my view. Uh, I thought Wolves did okay, but looked suspect at the back. Uh, I know Nuno has come out and had a big rant. We'll get to that. But I think Burnley were were good value for the win. And it's a huge, huge win for them. It jumps them not just out of the bottom three, but it brings them up above Brighton as well. So they sit 16th now in the league. Just one point off Arsenal with a game in hand as well. So if they can get a draw against United, they go level on points with Arsenal. Considering where Burnley were after five or six games when they only had one point, Sean Dyche is doing great work as usual, turning things around. And I do think we'll see Burnley climb a little bit higher up the table as well as the weeks go by. It helps that they've gotten most of their important players back. You look at the team last night, Tarkovsky in goal, Loughton and Taylor as the fullbacks, their first-choice pairing, Tarkovsky and me, that centre-back pairing that they build that team off. That defence, while not spectacularly high level, they all work very well together. Ben Mee has now found form. He had a rough start when he first came back from the injury. But him and Tarkovsky is a really strong centre-back pairing. Uh, I thought Taylor had a really good game last night, and he does provide a a very good outlet. That left-sided combination of him and Dwight McNeil is probably the best area of this Burnley team. They're still missing Jack Cork, but Brownhill has really kicked on. Over the last six, seven weeks, I think he's really moved his game up a notch. He's a lovely player. A couple of great shots on target on goal last night. Very, very unfortunate not to see one of them go in. Just a quality player who's fitting in now to what Sean Dyche wants. Before, I think, he was still a little bit too attack-minded and a little bit too... Loose with the ball for what Dyche really wanted. I think now he's understanding the role and Dyche is rewarding him with a bit more freedom. So he's getting the balance right. And look, when they get Barnes and Wood both scoring up front, they're going to be tough to beat. You know, that that's just how they are. Those two are difficult to play against. Both of them get a goal last night. Both of them play quite well. Um, for Wolves, not a particularly good result i thought they played well in patches but look their issue is what it is that back three not particularly good individually collectively they do work well but they leave a lot of space and create uh, and 
create problems for themselves. Sice and Kilman both had positional issues last night. I don't think Connor Cody did a particularly good job at covering for them. Seemed to be more concerned with just running back and standing in central areas, not marking anybody. The lack of a target man, the lack of a real striker is hurting them. Fabio Silva, as we've seen, just not quite ready yet for the Premier League. Did get himself a goal from a penalty late on that he won himself, but his all-round play not quite there. Uh, he obviously came off the bench. Neto and Pedence started up front in, in a 3-4-1-2 type of shape. And until they figure out what to do in the absence of Jimenez, they're going to have problems scoring goals. I mean, for me, I, I just look at it and I wonder, if you're not going to start uh, Fabio Silva, why are you not starting Adama Traore? You know, if you could play Pedence... Um, as the 10 where Otisawi played last night. And he looks a promising player, but I mean, again, just not ready for this level um, and play Neto and Adam up front. Just ho- hope to use their pace on the counter. Didn't think Ruben Neves had a good game last night. And it did beg the question from a f- few people, uh, including John O'Sullivan uh, as to whether he's plateaued. And I, I don't know that it's him that's hit that plateau or it's Wolves as, as a whole. I think Wolves as a whole may have hit a bit of a glass ceiling now, whether that's just down to a little, you know, a couple of injuries, I think it's in part down to the defence. I don't think until that defence improves, we'll see the rest of the team improve. Like you look at that midfield four: Semedo on the right, Neves, Matinho in the middle, and Aitnuri on the left. That's very, very good. But they've been asked to sit too deep because that defence can't be trusted to hold a high line and defend real big uh, patches of space. So I think until that back three is is upgraded, I think they're gonna they're gonna find themselves struggling to get above the eighth place that's sort of been their home for the last couple of years. Whether or not Nuno can take them any further, I don't know. We'll we'll need to wait and see on that one. I certainly don't think they'll be rushing to remove him, but it may just be a case that he's taken them as far as he can. It sometimes just happens with managers. It's not that he's not a good manager. I, I do think he is a very good manager. But just at times, managers hit a ceiling and the message stops getting through and a new voice is needed. And maybe that's the case of Wolves. Maybe there's a simple case of add a couple of new players and we'll take off again. We'll have to wait and see. We will have to wait and see what they do in January and what they look like after after the, the new year turns. Um, as I said, Burnley hop up, one, uh, hop up two positions into 16th and they'll be thrilled with that. Wolves drop to 11th um they won't be so so overly keen on that for wolves then up next they get spurs and then they get united to close the year that is a difficult end to the year they will be hoping i think to win at least one of those games but you know spurs are in a little bit of a funk maybe they can pick up that win there united away will be difficult united obviously look look great at the weekend against um against leeds now wolves won't be nearly as open as leeds but United will still go there. Will still uh, play that game confident. That game's at Old Trafford. I think for Wolves, anything below tenth is going to be disappointing for them this this season as a whole, with the squad that they have, with the money that they've invested. But the league is getting stronger, and as I say, maybe they've hit that plateau. Maybe they're just not going to get much better as currently constructed. So maybe they will have to make do with a a bottom half finish, which I think they'd find disappointing after the last couple of years. Burnley, though, on the rise a little bit. They get Leeds next, 
Uh, could there be a more contrasting uh, matchup of managers with Sean Dyche and Marcelo Bielsa? After that, then Sheffield United at home, that's a game they will have tagged to win. Then they start the new year with Fulham at home. And again, that is one they will have tagged to win. So I think Burnley definitely going in the right direction, trending upwards, looking like they may well uh, see themselves clear of the the relegation mix. If they could win those two games against Sheffield United and Fulham, they'd start to look a lot better off. They really would start to look like they weren't in that mix anymore. And when you look at the turnaround, what was it, game five, game six, they had one point after. You know, you do sort of look at Sheffield United and think, okay, maybe maybe things look doomed, but you're not dead and buried just yet. You can turn things around if you can get a good run of form going. Then we'll be getting that good run of form going. But for Burnley, everything is positive at the moment. Everything is positive. They're going in the right direction. They've got pretty much the full team available except for Cork. Um, since getting walloped by, by Chelsea, the draw with Brighton, they beat Palace. They got walloped by City, fair enough. They always get walloped by City. But a really good draw against Everton. That really good win away to Arsenal. Uh, a draw with Villa and beating Wolves. These are all good results for Burnley. So they'll be confident they've they've got their mojo back. They're playing more like the Burnley that we're used to seeing. And, and I think Sean Dyche, as I've said many, many times, is one of the better managers in the league and will get every single last drop out of those players. I do think they need to dip into the market in January. They're very, very thin at centre-back. I think they could do with one more wide body. Like uh, Jack Clark, I've mentioned before, from Spurs. He's somebody that maybe is available on loan. He's not playing for Spurs. He's, I think he's played in the League Cup and that's it. Maybe the Europa League. But, you know, he's playing for the 23s. He's playing quite well for the 23s as well. Maybe you can get him in and he can spell McNeil on the left or, or play on the right uh, if Brady or, or Sigurdsson's not available. That plus a centre-back. And as I said, Matty Pollock from Grimsby could be the one given Grimsby's financial situation and, and everything going on with the takeover there. Those two would be cost-effective, long-term views, and would help them in the short term as well. So, uh, good result for Burnley. They'll be they'll be absolutely thrilled to go into Christmas out of the relegation zone and having pushed Brighton below them as well to give themselves a little bit of breathing room. Um, Chelsea then finally beat a team in the top 10, a 3-0 win over West Ham. All things considered, a very good performance from Chelsea. West Ham had their moments, and I think... If things had shaken a little bit differently, West Ham maybe could have gotten a draw from this game. But Thiago Silva puts Chelsea one up with a, a great header. Now, Garth Crooks has gone way overboard uh, with describing it as, as as if it was the greatest header he'd ever seen. But um, it is a good header. He's left completely free. Jared Bowen, for some, some reason, seems to have been tasked with marking him at a corner and then just doesn't track his run at all, just stands there marking space. And um, Silva floats into space and just thumps the header past uh, Fabianski into the net. It was a bit of a bitty game from there. And, and Chelsea had good moments, good 10, 15-minute spells. Then West Ham would fight their way back in and and have their little spells. Timo Werner missed a couple of decent chances. And things just aren't going well for him at the moment. His overall performance was pretty decent. But in front of goal, what they bought him to do, he's just not performing in that regard at the moment. But patience is needed. That 
that's a very young player with a very high upside. Um, I did think Christian Pulisic had a good game on the other wing as well. And those two either side of Tammy Abraham did seem to work for them. Abraham manages to grab two late goals in the 78th and 80th minute, a, a tap-in from a Werner. I don't know if it was a pass or a shot. I think it was a shot. But he taps in and then gets himself a second goal, tapping in after Fabianski has made a good save from, I think it was Pulisic in the air. I think it was Pulisic. It might not have been. I think it was. Um, he's lying on the ground. Abraham just taps it in. It's a, it's a good goal. It's a good it's a good striker's finish. And he'll be he'll be thrilled to get two goals. He's had a bit of a disappointing season so far. I think Tammy Abraham, obviously the great start to last season, then lost his way a little bit, was in and out of the team as Giroud was getting minutes. This season, again, a little bit of rotation there. Oli Giroud getting games. Werner been played to the middle. Frank playing around with the system, trying to figure out what works for them. You look at last night, and again, he's, he's played about in midfield. But what he has done is he seems to have settled on goalkeeper centre-backs. We know the first choice centre-backs are James and Chilwell. Now, Aspie Laqueta played last night. He's going to play some games because he's the club captain. But he does seem to have settled on, on a defence, which is a big thing for Frank because last season that was one of the downfalls of this Chelsea team. Um, Zuma's having a very good season. It, it's helping him that Silva is talking him through games. And Zuma's pace and physicality and dominance in the air is definitely helping Silva. Zuma's taking the harder the harder option when things come to who marks that striker. It's Zuma every single time. Zuma's the one that goes and lines up next to them. And Silva can kind of play as a sweeper there and it's working for him. It's, his lack of pace is not getting exposed. He's not been forced to deal with the big grocks of the league aerially. Zuma bullied Sebastian Haller last night. Absolutely bullied him. Um, midfield there's still a lot of rotation Mason Mount is the one constant presence and it's funny with Mount I think everybody would agree that there was a large period of time where Mason Mount got massively overrated and I think now it's flipped around and he's become underrated I think he might be the most important player in that Chelsea team because I think he's the one from midfield he's their best presser his ball retention is very very good He's very diligent in tracking his runners. I think him and Kovacic with the sitting player is what the longer-term view will be. Now, I know Frank keeps trying to play Kai Havertz as an eight. It's not working at the moment. I don't think it's going to work for a while. I think Havertz is struggling with the pace of the Premier League. I think he's struggling a little bit with just having moved away from Germany and his friends and his family and everything he's known his entire career to you know a much bigger club. Uh, a much more high-pressure environment. The ex- expectations at Chelsea are always very, very high because of what they've done over the last 16, 17 years since Roman took over. Um, and I just think Kai is, is struggling to settle in. But for now, I think it has to be Kovacic, Mount, plus one. Last night, Jorginho played, and I don't think he did all that well. I just don't think he's... I think like like Kai, he struggled with the pace of the Premier League for a large portion of his time in the league. And I think if they could, they'd sell him. The problem is there's not many clubs in the market for that specific type of player. You have to play a certain way for Jorginho to be really effective in the team. Frank doesn't play that type of way. Obviously, Sarri bought him and Sarri did intend to play that way, but it just it, it's never really worked for him. Um, so you'd expect he's one that they'll move on. But it's a big win for Chelsea. Uh, first win over a top 10 team, which is good. Now, 
it will be interesting at the end of the season when everybody's finished where they finished to see what Chelsea's results are actually like against the top half. Obviously, this season they've been disappointing so far. And like I say, there's a good chance that West Ham finish 11th or 12th or maybe a little bit lower. Um, so it, w- it will be interesting. And it will define Chelsea's season, I think. It will have a big say on where they finish. Uh, up next for them, they've got Arsenal on Saturday. That's a game they'd expect to win given where Arsenal are in the league. But it's a massive, massive game for Arsenal. It's a huge game for Arteta. His job may well may well hinge on his results over the next couple of days, so or the next couple of couple of games. So Arsenal need that win. And then they've got Aston Villa. Again, that'll be a tough game. Villa playing very well this season. They start the new year with City. So it's a tough run for Frank. It's a tough run for Chelsea, but you know, they'll they'll go into it confident after a good performance and a really good result last night. Uh jumps them back up the table, obviously. Uh, they're fifth and uh, only a point off Everton and United who sit third and fourth. They go ahead of Spurs. Chelsea will be in the mix for top four. Whether they get it or not, I think is largely going to rely on how they do against teams in the top half. We know that they're going to beat most of the teams in the bottom half. Pure talent alone will do that. They've got incredible talent at that club. Look at the front three they played last night. And then consider who didn't play. Ali Giroud didn't play. Zaych didn't play. Havertz didn't, with the forgetting sub appearances, Havertz didn't start. Uh, Callum Hudson Odoi didn't start. I mean, they've so much talent there. They're so deep in, in the attack. They've got quality midfielders. They may well look to add more in January. Like, it would be no surprise if Chelsea go and spend again in January. Um, the defence, we'll see if it holds up. It's been. Certainly better than expected so far this season. A couple of couple of bad ones, like West Brom scored three, Southampton got three against them. I, I think there's there's gaps in that defense that certain teams can expose. But for now, everything's going well. Uh, the signing of Mendy has really worked out for them and, and taken them up a level, given what they were getting from Kepa. Um, all things considered, I think Frank will be happy enough to be fifth Going into Christmas, only six points off the top, only two points off second. He'll be he'll be chuffed. He just needs, I think, to find ways of getting Havertz involved more without having to force him into a position that A, Havertz isn't comfortable in, and B, harms the team. You know, you'd look at the team right now. They are better without Kai Havertz on the pitch, and... Are they better without Zajic? Potentially, I, I I would prefer Pulisic to Zajic. And I think Pulisic and, and Werner, either side of a, of a striker, is is really, really good. I think you get creativity and pace and goals, and they'll cause defenders problems all game long. Um, he just needs to figure out what he wants to do with Havertz. Maybe Havertz's best role is going to be that number nine position. But then, you know, you've got to consider Tammy Abraham is, is very, very good at that role as well. So... Um, that's something Frank needs to figure out. He needs to figure out how to get Werner back on track goal-wise because they will need him to step up a level as the season goes on. But after back-to-back defeats in the league, this is a big win for Chelsea and they'll be thrilled to get back on track and be back into fifth position. Um, Gareth Crooks has picked his team of the week as he has wanted to do every single week. The BBC continues to employ the man. So, you know, he has to do something to earn his crust. Um he picked Joel Matip, and he, he based it on his performances against Spurs and Crystal Palace. 
Uh, Joel Matip didn't play against Spurs, and Fabinho outperformed him in both games. Uh, he picked Thiago Silva largely based on his goal against um, his goal against West Ham. He ignored everything else, just the goal against West Ham, uh, which was weird because if you consider that in the Wolves game, Silva didn't play particularly well and got exposed a couple of times. It's an odd, it's an odd choice. Uh, he picked Tyron Mings. I don't really have a massive problem with it. Um, he did go a little bit overboard, but you know, Burnley are not a team known for their attacking intent, and it was a nil-nil draw. It's not like I, I don't think anybody was outstanding in that game. And West Brom had ten men for the majority of the game, so I don't know how you really pick him in the team of the week based on performances against those teams. Um, He's also dubbed them the Clean Sheet Gang, which is, you know, it's I suppose it's a cool nickname. Uh, in midfield, he went for Jordan Henderson, uh, who didn't have a good first half against Palace. Had a very good second half, not a good first half. Didn't play particularly well against Spurs, but claims he was brilliant in both games and also says that Liverpool would have lost against Fulham if it were not for Jordan Henderson, who was particularly poor in that game. Uh, also called him Captain Marvel, which just is what it is. Picks Bruno, I don't have a problem with that. Picks McTominay, again, he wasn't great against Sheffield United. Really good against Leeds. Got his two goals, fair enough. Gilfie Sigurdsson seems a weird pick to me. I think there's other Everton players that are far more deserving. Um, he picked Salah, he picked Firmino. Again, you know, they've both played really well in the last two games. But then he picked Jamie Vardy. And he picked Jamie Vardy, and I'm going to read you what he said. He said... This was reliving a nightmare. I saw Leicester beat Tottenham at White Hart Lane the year the Foxes won the title and Vardy was outstanding that night. So referring to a game five seasons ago, just when you thought Serge Aurier had removed that erratic behavior from his game, he panics and gives away a penalty. Barging into attackers on the edge of his own area is the game of fools. Aurier has been outstanding recently and to see the defender slip back into his old habits is very concerning. Come to think of it, watching Spurs revert to everything I hate about a Jose Mourinho, a Jose Mourinho team was simply awful. If Spurs have to play like that, then winning is essential. So he's made no reference to Jamie Vardy's performances in either game. He's talked about a game from five seasons ago and then had a, a big dig at Aurier. Vardy played pretty well against Spurs, but his goal was a penalty and he definitely wasn't Leicester's best player on the night. So, you know maybe he was much better in his previous game. But no, he wasn't either. Because in the Everton game, he was particularly poor. So I don't know how you could pick Jamie Vardy for your team of the week. You pick Joel Matip based on a game he didn't play in, and you pick Jamie Vardy based on a game five years ago and Serge Aurier committing a foul against a different player. And he gets paid for this. It's every week with this team of the week from Gareth Crooks. It's just nonsense. Um, I, 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 don't, I, I, I don't know why I let it trigger me, but it does every single week. Maybe that's what he's trying to do. No, obviously not just for me. Maybe he's just trying to create a bit of discussion or, you know, controversy creates cash type of job at the talk sport method. But this is, this is garbage. Um, Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville picked their team of 2020. And again, I've taken umbrage with certain uh, selections. Uh, he picked Alison Becker in goal, and I don't really have a problem with it. I do think Alison 
is the best goalkeeper in the league, but he has had two spells out injured. So, you know, when you look at someone like um, Alex McCarthy at Southampton, Emmy Martinez at Villa. Now, Emmy Martinez didn't play pre-lockdown. Leno was in goal, but then Leno got hurt. Martinez was great for Arsenal post-lockdown, and truth be told, they sold the wrong goalkeeper. Uh, for what they are and what they need, Martinez would be a better fit than Leno, who's much more suited to an expansive style of play. It's not what Arsenal are at the moment. Uh, and he's been really good for Villa this season. So Martinez is worth a shout. McCarthy's been great since the turn of the year. I don't have a problem with Allison. I would probably go with Allison myself. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold at right back. He was really good last season. He hasn't been this season. He's had a couple of decent games this year. But overall, this season, he hasn't been at his best level. Now, the question is, is has any right back in the league been better than Alexander-Arnold over the 12 months? I don't think there's a real contender. Because the ones who are playing well this season, the likes of Reese James, weren't particularly good last season. They were hit and miss in and out of the team. Again, James in and out of the team this year. Kyle Walker-Peters has been consistently good, but I don't think he's been anywhere near the level of Trent. Uh, James Justin's been really good, but he didn't play before lockdown. So, you know, he did, just didn't play every game. So I don't think you'd go with him. So I would go with Trent, but it is kind of with a little asterisk there that if anyone else had upped their game and played well across the 12 months, they'd probably be in the team. Over at left back, they went for Andy Robertson. No problem there. Robertson has been very, very good. He did have a little dip after the lockdown, but got himself back on track. It's been great this season. I think Luca Dina is definitely worth highlighting here as someone that's had a good year. Obviously out injured at the moment, but but well worth consideration. At centre-back, they picked Van Dyke, and he's obviously missed the last two months. I think he probably did enough in the first 10 months of the year to, to warrant his position. He is the best defender in the league. Um, so no problem with that. But Connor Cody is a ridiculous selection next to him. Um, I don't know if he's Jamie Carragher's son or just his friend. I don't know what it is, but he's certainly not not in any way warranting a position in a team of the year. Um, Bednarak at Southampton, well worth consideration. But I would go with Ezri Konza, who I think has been brilliant for Villa all year long. Once he came into the team, you saw the Villa team stabilize at the back. When he moved to centre-back next to Tyron Mings, they went up a level. He is their best defender. He's probably one of their three or four best players. Um, and he's one that they're going to struggle to hang on to long-term. He's someone that needs to be in the next England squad. If he's not in the next England squad, Southgate's doing things wrong. Um, yeah, so I'll go Trent, Conza, Virgil, Robbo. I'll keep Allison in goal. In midfield, uh, here's where we get a little bit controversial. Jordan Henderson shouldn't be in the team. Um, he just shouldn't. It's based on 12 months, not on a couple of months. He started the season, the year. He started 2020 really well. And then he got injured. And then football stopped. And he came back and he was inconsistent. And then he got injured again. And he missed the end of the season. And then he started this season and he's been inconsistent. And he's had a couple of injuries. He was poor against Leeds on the opening day. He wasn't playing particularly well against Chelsea, and he got hurt. He was poor against Sheffield United. He wasn't particularly good against West Ham. He was poor against Fulham. He wasn't particularly good against Spurs. 
and he was poor in the first half against Palace. That Palace game sort of summed him up. Poor half, good half. So, despite all the hype and propaganda, I, I just don't see that there's an argument for Jordan Henderson to be in a team of the year. And you can make the argument, yeah, he won player of the year last year. Propaganda. The most overrated player in the league right now. Simple as. Um, Fabinho is clearly the choice here. Since returning from injury, he has been sensational. Once football started after the lockdown, he was brilliant. And this season, he's been Liverpool's best player. Now, I know he's played a lot at centre-back this season, but he has to be in the team. He is Liverpool's best player right now, and he has to be in the team. And he's been one of their best players since the day he arrived. Kevin De Bruyne is the best player at City by a mile. He's been carrying them all year long. Player of the year last year, the actual player of the year last year. Brilliant this season so far. There's no question he's in the team. And Bruno Fernandes may be the best player of 2020 in the Premier League. I don't think he's been the best player this season. But I think the second half of last season, he was incredible. Once he joined in January, United just were looked a different team. He carries them this season. Bruno have no problem with. Salah, absolutely. I don't think Hyunmin Son, as good as he's been this season, I don't think he was anywhere close to that level the second half of last season. And while Gary Neville has put forward some statistics uh, showing that Son has more goals and assists than Mane, there's no doubt that Mane's been the better player over the course of 12 months. Um, Son has scored a lot more this season, but Mane has been the better player over the course of the year. And up front then they went for uh, Harry Kane. And again, I don't have a problem with that. I think Harry Kane's great. But he missed time last season. Wasn't as wasn't anywhere close to the level he's at now in the second half of last season, dealing with a couple of injuries and missing a fair amount of time. I think Danny Ings has to be the choice. I know he missed four weeks, or four games rather, earlier this season with the knee injury. But he was brilliant last season. And he was brilliant from January onwards. And that's what this is meant to count for. January onwards. I think they've picked Jordan Henderson and Harry Kane and Son based on the first half of last season more than the second half of last season. Um, Danny Ings from January onwards has just been sensational. Started off this season in great form as well. I think Danny Ings has to be in the team. So for me, my team of 2020 will be Allison, Trent, Conza, Virgil, Robbo, Kevin De Bruyne, Fabinho, Bruno Fernandes, Mo Salah, Danny Ings, and Sadio Mane, manager of the year, is Jurgen Klopp. There's nobody else in consideration, though I do think David Moyes deserves a little bit of a mention because he has done tremendous work at West Ham uh, over the past, well, what's he been there, nine months now, ten months? He deserves consideration. Um, we'll wrap up with some gossip, I suppose, to get things get things done. Uh, Manchester City's England centre-back, John Stones, is set to sign a new contract after winning over manager Pep Guardiola this season. So I've set the cat among the pigeons on Twitter by saying I don't think this this renaissance of John Stones is is rooted in reality. Yes, he has been better. It was it would have been impossible for him to have been worse. But he is still making mistakes. Go and watch the Southampton game and watch him trail 
Che Adams into midfield, get caught out of position, not make the tackle, get turned, and rely on others to save him. That's happened multiple times. His positioning is still questionable. He makes poor decisions. Just because an error doesn't lead to a goal doesn't stop it being an error. Just because somebody else covers for your error, it doesn't stop it being an error. And just because sometimes strikers, when you've made that error, get through and then mess things up, again, doesn't stop it being an error. Went through this for years with Dejan Lovren Liverpool. Would make five, six errors every single game. Not big errors, small positional errors, judgment errors, and people would just ignore them because they didn't lead, lead to a goal. But they are what leads to goals. Maybe not in that game, but those errors will come back and bite him in a different game. Stones has been better this year than he had been previously, but the idea that he's been flawless, I mean, look who he's played against. You know, Southampton, fair enough, good team. United and City both parked the bus in the most embarrassing Manchester derby I think there's been. And other than that, he played against the Dregs and in the easiest Champions League group you have. So, uh, for me, I'm not buying John Stone's stock. I do like Stones. I think he's better than people make him out to be. But defensively, he's never improved. He's the same defender now as he was when he was 21. Um, I still think he made the wrong decision in picking City over Chelsea. If he'd gone to Chelsea and worked under Conte, I think he'd have developed a lot more as a defender. Pep doesn't improve people as defenders. He improves them as footballers. That's what he's tried to do with Stones. Um, but like, there's a reason City's defense in every game still has moments of absolute chaos. And it's not just because they've got a rotating cast of idiots at left-back. Centrally, they make mistakes. The goalkeeper makes mistakes. Centre-backs make mistakes. They bail each other out, or the attacker lets things go. But the mistakes are still there, and better teams will punish them. Bayern Munich's Austrian defender David Alaba has refused to sign a new deal with the European Championships, European champions and can talk to other clubs from January. Chelsea... Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain are interested. I'd imagine other clubs will be as well. Of those, though, I think he's most likely to go to Real. Arsenal are considering a move for Valencia and Uruguay striker Maxi Gomez. Yeah, a striker that can't create chances for himself is definitely what Arsenal need. That is definitely going to solve the creative problems at Arsenal. Everton are preparing a new contract for France left-back Luca Dinia. Manchester City are among, Manchester City are among the clubs who would want the 27 year old it's imperative that Everton tie him down because he is so important to how they play he is a top top player he's developed really well since joining them Newcastle and Sheffield United are interesting in interested in signing Manchester United and Argentina defender Marcus Rojo on loan I I mean he would make sense for Sheffield United in the fact that he's a left-footed centre-back and they could do with a left-footed centre-back but surely to God you can do better than him he is a walking calamity. He is a mistake waiting to happen. Paris Saint-Germain are planning a bid for Jan Oblak of Atletico Madrid, who is keen on a new challenge. That's from the Daily Mail. When the Daily Mail report things like that, put it in the bin and set it on fire. Uh, Manchester United and England defender John, uh, Phil Jones is a lone target for West Brom and Derby. Derby, of course, he is close with Rooney. West Brom would make sense for him. I think Sam is the type of manager he needs. If I'm not mistaken, Sam managed him in the early part of his career at Blackburn. Uh, this will be, of course, good radio for everybody to listen to while I check this, but I do think I'm right in that. Um, big Sam, 08 
2010. He was at Derb at Blackburn. And Phil Jones, who's definitely in the academy at the very least. Yeah, 09. So Big Sam would have given him his debut. Um, so there is that connection there. So, yeah, now maybe that's just journalists going, oh, look, Sam gave him his debut. So we'll, we'll say that. And, you know, him and Rooney are known to be friends. So they can make that link. But I do think he would make, make sense for both clubs. I don't know if Derby could take him on on loan, though. Like, unless United were paying an awful lot of their weight, of his wages, because haven't Derby got some financial trouble that they need to sort out first? Um, West Brom, he'd make a lot of sense. I'd, I'd, I'd back that one. I think that's a good a good move. Manchester United want to sign Ecuador midfielder Moses Casado uh, in January. I don't know if they can. Does the Brexit rules not rule this out? Is he going to get the points that's going to be needed? It it doesn't seem likely. Maybe maybe they can find a way around it. Maybe there's a loophole, um, and they can get him in as, as some sort of you know outstanding talent or whatever. Uh, Manchester City boss Pep Guardiola does not expect to bring in a striker during the January transfer window, despite Gabby Jesus and Sergio Aguero missing the win over Southampton. Aguero's injuries are becoming a major major problem for them now. Like a major problem for them now. They still have other issues, like they need to find more creativity in the team, need to get more width in the team. But um, my guess is that the striker they want just isn't available in January, so that's why they'll hold off. Inter Miami's Scottish winger Lewis Morgan has been monitored by Premier League strugglers Sheffield United and Championship side Reading. I don't know why Sheffield United would buy a winger, given they don't play with wingers, but you know it is what it is. Uh, Sheffield United are keen on Omar Colley of Sampdoria on a permanent transfer and they would also like to bring in Jesse Lingard on loan. Now, Jesse Lingard would make a lot of sense because they could do with that attacking midfielder who can give them some sort of link between midfield and attack. Lingard is a better player than people make him out to be. He's not good enough for United, but he's absolutely good enough to help most of the league. And Omar Colley would be a good signing. He would make sense for them. He he is a good centre-back. I don't know that they'll be willing to spend a whole bunch of money in January, given where they are on the table and given the fact they they kind of look a little bit doomed. And he again, he is a left-footed centre back, so would could play on the left side of that back three. Depending on the fee and the wages, it might make sense because you know he, if he's eight to ten million, that's not contract. You know, he's on forty grand a week. You can bring that down to the championship with you. Um, and they'll be a strong team to come back up. Um, New West Brom boss Sam Allardyce has criticised Jake Livermore and hinted he could lose his captaincy after the red card in the 3-0 loss to Villa. That's a little bit harsh. It was stupid. It was a little bit reckless. But Grealish made the most of it. Like, focusing on what's what's more problematic is that one of your players suffered a very similar tackle and there was no red card given. Focusing on that. Uh, Leicester are preparing to leave to let Damari Gray leave the club in January with Tottenham, Everton, Southampton and Palace all interested. I would have great doubts that Tottenham are interested. He wouldn't really make sense for Everton, although just as a body in, in wide positions, maybe doesn't fit how Leicester, how Southampton play. They play that box midfield. I don't think he suits for Palace. Yeah, maybe if they wanted to up. Well, not, I don't know if he's an upgrade on Andros Townsend, but bring in more competition in wide roles. Um, you know, they've got Townsend or, or Schlupp play on the right and then AC on the left. So maybe Gray comes in and that gives them four options there that they can they can go through. 
Arsenal have opened contract talks with 25-year-old England defender Rob Holding, whose deal runs out in 2023. Why? He's got two and a half years left on his contract. He's Rob Holding. It's not like he's going to have a queue of clubs knocking down his door to say, come and join us. Let's see how he does for the rest of the season, maybe even in the next season, before you do something silly. Surely he's not a long-term fixture in your team. Uh, Championship club Huddersfield are planning an ambitious move for Brazil under-20 international Lincoln, which Flamengo Flamengo, uh, preparing to listen to offers. He was meant to be like the next big thing a couple of years ago. He was part of that really talented under-17 team. Um, Him... Paulinho that ended up at Bayer Leverkusen. There was a couple of others in that team. And none of them have really, I don't think, kicked on to what they were expected to be. But look, if they can, if Huddersfield can get him in, it brings a bit of excitement. It brings a bit of the unknown. Uh, they obviously could do with a striker having sold Carl and Grant. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Uh Real Madrid president Florentino Perez wants innovative reforms to the format of the Champions League. He wants more money, is what he wants. There's nothing else behind that. He wants more money. Um, Newcastle's 29-year-old Wales defender Paul Dummett, who made only his second appearance of 2020, feared he would have to retire because of persistent injury problems. He has been absolutely plagued with injuries over the last few years. It's unfortunate because he is a solid player. I, I... I think he's more of a championship level player and I think he should probably move on for the sake of his career. But, you know, he, he does just constantly get injured. Didn't play at all, I don't think, in the Premier League last season. I think he played in the Cup. Um, Good to see him back fit, though. That's the main thing with any player. It is really nice to see them back fit, playing at whatever level. Same with Nathaniel Klein at Palace after... I mean, he lost a couple of years of his career. Danny Ings is the same. Obviously, lose, you lose a couple of years of career. It's tough. But it's really good to see Paul Dummett back in action. And hopefully he can he can stay fit and overcome the act. 29 is too young to be retiring. Um, championship side, Barnsley have had a £500,000 bid accepted for Forest Greens. Liam Kitching. Uh, great. Well done, Barnsley. I don't know anything about him. Not a clue. I don't think I've ever seen Forest Green play a game. Aren't they the team who are like vegan and completely like energy neutral and carbon neutral and all that, aren't they? I think that's them. Um, the ones that Bellerin bought into. Um, yeah, look, I hope, he, I hope he works out. They've got a lot of money behind them at Barnsley in terms of how they recruit and, and the process they go through. They use a lot of analytics, obviously the part owned by Billy Bean famously behind the Moneyball strategy of the Oakland Athletics that leaked its way into football a few years ago. And that is it. That is the news and gossip for today. Um, Yeah. Thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow and Wednesday. uh, Sorry, tomorrow and Thursday, and then we'll take a a little break for Christmas. Uh, Hope you're all ready for Christmas. Hope you're not waiting last minute for, you know, a last-minute rush to the shops because uh, with the lockdowns coming, we've had word here that we are getting locked into level five uh, on St. Stephen's day, which isn't, isn't really good. Um, But you know, it is what it is. Take care of yourselves. Thank you to guy. Thank you to Fox haunt. I will see you tomorrow. Bye. bye
Sports Social Podcast Network.